You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Final hour on this Wednesday, Dan and the Danettes, Dan Patrick Show. Glad to have you on board. Chip Kelly, UCLA head coach, will join us coming up in about 20 minutes. I saw this story. Alex Bregman of the Astros has fired his agent over a LeBron James-backed sign-stealing docuseries. (laughs) (laughs) You got me with the headline there. The Athletic reported late last night that Alex Bregman, quote, felt angry and betrayed that his now former agent would allow a company with ties to LeBron James to cash in on this particular topic. So he was with Clutch Sports, and he decided that he was going to leave because they're now partnering with LeBron James. So his company, Clutch Sports, is uh, creating this docuseries. The film, which is expected to be entitled Sign Language, will stream on Quibi, says it will give, quote, viewers an inside look at the Houston Astros sign-stealing scandal and its unprecedented fallouts, making it one of the most far-reaching cheating schemes in sports history. Alex Bregman is reportedly looking for a new agent. (laughs) Wow. Yes, astro-apologist Fritzy. So he canned his agent, basically. Okay, trash can. All right. All right. All right. All right. Decent. McLovin, uh, poll question and results so far. Are we going to stay with that poll question for the final hour? Uh, we can. Uh, so best, who will have the most cor- uh, touchdowns for an older quarterback? Breeze, 64%. Then Brady, second place at 19%. Okay. A uh, couple of football things here. I spoke to uh, somebody in the medical community who's working with the NFL. And I wanted to know how many tests it would take for the NFL to come back. And I was given a rough estimate of around 60,000 tests. I don't know how many tests are going to be readily available. And I was told by my source that there is concern from the NFL of making sure that people who need to get tests can get tests. And then they're not going to football players. There's also this, that the NFL expects positive tests for the coronavirus. They expect it. Now the question is, what is the plan going to be after that? It's not going to surprise people that uh, there's going to be positive cases that come up. But they need to identify them as quickly as possible to prevent the spread to other players, other participants. The other thing I found out yesterday was my source said that you're probably going to have a different face mask that you might have visors that come down a little bit lower. The face mask itself might go down a little bit lower. And in the words of my source, this is a perfect cesspool to pass this virus on to somebody else. Football is the perfect cesspool to be able to do that. It's a Petri dish here. And my source said they might lengthen the face mask And it it would be more of almost not medieval times, because that was my word to him. Like, you know, when you have the knights out there and they have these helmets on, but you're going to have more protection for your face. And maybe the visor is going to come down lower. More people have visors on. And then the face mask itself won't be as wide open. It will. Who was it that uh, with the New York Giants who had that face mask? Was that McLovin? That was Justin. Justin Tuck. Tuck. Yeah. yeah. You might have something where it's perforated, but they're not large holes just to try to cut down on this. But that was what I found out yesterday afternoon. Yeah, Paul. It, it does seem odd that they would have adjustments to the uniform and protecting 
the players from that if all players entered the game with a clean bill of health? Why would they need to do that? If all players are tested before kickoff and given a clean bill of health, why would you need to adjust the uniform? Unless it's for show. I don't know. I, I'm just going by what you know, I was told yesterday, but I think it's a great point that you bring up. If everybody is tested going in, uh, your temperature is taken, and you're going to be taking these uh, tests you know, periodically on a regular basis, then it, it would be surprising if somebody is going to test positive. I mean, even if you're asymptomatic, but you know, this is what I was told yesterday. The NFL does expect positive tests at some point. Now, I don't know if it's during the season, leading up to the season, but that's what I was told yesterday. A lot has been uh, made about the so-called Rooney rule, and this has to do with giving minorities a chance to interview for jobs in the NFL, head coaching jobs, assistant jobs, and making it mandatory that you're going to interview minorities. And I, I don't want to be an authority on this because – I, I'm in no position, being a older white male, to say, boy, that sounds like that's good to have that rule in place. Minorities speak about this. They're the authorities, not me. I can only tell you what I've, I've asked about and, and talking to a source yesterday. I said, is this going to be something where I'm going to give you some kind of incentive by improving a draft pick? A draft pick, is that reason enough to bring somebody in and hire them as a coach. And the source that I talked to said, absolutely not. That That's embarrassing that they would say, hey, we're going to bump you up six spots and uh, if you, if you uh, hire a minority. And by the way, the NFL wisely tabled that. But I am in no position to say, boy, that sounds great. The only thing that I would want, and I said, I don't know if Eric Bieniemy is head coaching material, but I do know... He deserves a chance to be a head coach in the NFL. He's the offensive coordinator for the Chiefs. He was offered a chance to go back to his alma mater at Colorado. But my thought was, why does he have to go back? To, why can't he get a job in the NFL? I mean, if Matt Nagy gets the Bears job, why can't Eric Bieniemy get a job in the NFL? But the fact that he didn't get a job, if Eric Bieniemy is a head coach in the NFL. We're not talking about the Rooney rule today, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't be. It just means we would not. When we find that there's a glaring omission, there's a problem with this. That's when it's talked about. And Eric Bieniemy didn't get a chance to be a head coach. There were opportunities. I mean, I look at the giants, the giants took a wide receivers coach from the Patriots and Joe judge. Maybe he learned at the feet of Belichick and he'd be one of the assistants who's actually a decent coach leaving the Patriots. Maybe Eric Bieniemy has proven himself as an offensive coordinator, the best offense in the NFL. It felt like the Giants took a safe route in hiring their head coach. Just my feeling. Don't know all the details there, but I, I think there's cronyism. There's favoritism. And when you talk about the Rooney rule, it, it can work. Because Mike Tomlin talked his way into getting the head coaching job of the Steelers. But he needed to get the opportunity to interview for the job. And this is systemic. This isn't just one team or one candidate. You, you can go down the years, the decades in the NFL. Somebody's going to hire somebody that they like. 
that they want to socialize with, that they get along with, they could be friends with. I get all of that. But you have to get candidates and give them an opportunity here. Let them be coordinators. Not let them, but hire them as coordinators. Let, let them be coordinators in college. Let them be head coaches in college. And then maybe you get that opportunity in the pros. As Tony Dungy said, look, you know, teams shouldn't get rewarded for doing the right thing. Are you going to hire somebody or, hey, if you interview minorities, we'll pump up your draft pick. We'll give you a little better draft pick. That, that's not the right answer here. Here's Eric Bieniemy, the Chiefs offensive coordinator, talking about the updated Rooney rule. There are plenty of candidates that are more than qualified. I think one thing that popped up was some coaches now, assistant coaches, are going to have an opportunity to interview. I think that's huge. I think that's huge across the board. Regardless of skin color, it doesn't make a difference, you know. Now you get an opportunity to interview the best football coach for that particular position. That's Eric Bieniemy, the Chiefs offensive coordinator. And I hope he gets the opportunity. I don't know if he's going to be successful. I don't know that much about him. I remember when he played at Colorado, but I I don't know. There's a certain personality you have to have as a head coach or that helps you as a head coach. Because an offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, you go into your little world. The head coach has to deal with everything. And, And this isn't just, I mean, Charlie Weiss wasn't a head coach, in my opinion. Great offensive coordinator. Romeo Cornell, defensive coordinator. I didn't think he was a head coach. So it's, it takes special qualities to be a head coach to deal with all the things you have to deal with. And that doesn't mean an, uh, a coach is a good coordinator. But there are guys who are better at getting in front of the media, press conferences, dealing with drama, discipline. This isn't just, hey, I take care of my side of the ball. This, you got to be a coach in full when you're doing this, and not everybody's capable of doing that. But I hope that Eric Bieniemy gets that opportunity because you won a Super Bowl. Like, if you can't get a job as an offensive coordinator coming off a Super Bowl year, that to me is surprising. And you can say, here's another thing, well, you can't interview when you're in the playoffs. So it, it hurts the people who are good at their jobs because you're not available to be interviewed. And they've modified that to a certain degree. But I hope Eric Bieniemy gets the chance. Maybe it's, it's called the Bieniemy rule instead of the Rooney rule. But I do know that the Steelers owner wanted minorities, no, minorities to be interviewed. And that's how Mike Tomlin, because I think it was Russ Grimm who was getting that job with the Steelers. And Mike Tomlin came in and blew him away. And sometimes, you know, unfortunately, that's what it takes for any candidate where you're going, you got to sell your, you better go in there. You got one shot, make it work here. Whereas it feels like other guys keep getting opportunities here. And maybe this changes. Uh, Let me see. What else do we have here? We mentioned a little bit of uh, Horace Grant wants a piece of Michael Jordan. Uh, Horace and uh, Mike are... Well, Horace isn't letting this go. He says he's not the snitch for the book, The Jordan Rules. Michael, no matter, I mean, no matter what Horace says, Michael believes it, and Michael is not going to budge off that. Once he makes up his mind, that's it. But Horace Grant gave us uh, how much of the last dance he thought was truthful. 
90 percent of it was i don't know if i can say it on air but bs in terms of um the realness of it as i stated the other day that it wasn't real because a lot of things that he said to uh some of his teammates his teammates went back at it but all of that was kind of edited out of the documentary if you want to call it a documentary <laughs> that's the part i love if you want to call it a documentary that one made me chuckle just a little bit I uh, saw this story. Jimmy Garoppolo's fullback has got his back. Who is this? Kyle Juszczyk? Yeah. Yes, Harvard grad. Yeah. He, uh, he wants to know why Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't get enough respect. He says, I feel like I've been Jimmy's bodyguard this offseason, but I've never been tired of it. Uh, it's crazy to me that Jimmy doesn't get the respect he deserves for what a phenomenal season I think he had, the numbers that he put up, the way he led this team. check said, he was no doubt our leader on offense. He brought us to a Super Bowl and within seven minutes of winning one. So for him not to get the respect I feel he deserves, it's pretty wild to me. I'm glad that he has his quarterbacks back. But I would say to him, if he was on the program, what about your coach and your general manager? They're the ones that flirted, admitted they flirted with Tom Brady. And maybe he was asked about that, but that'd be like, uh, make out, uh, you know, your coach and GM admitted that they flirted with Tom Brady. Oh, oh, you don't have an answer for that. Yeah. That's what's interesting about this. Hey, nobody has his back. We almost won a Super Bowl. Yeah, you almost did. If not for Chris Jones making two great plays, Niners probably win a Super Bowl here. But your coach and your GM, and for a couple of days, I kept saying, why haven't they come out in support of Jimmy Garoppolo? Because they were interested in Tom Brady. So if you want to have your back, his your quarterback's back, Make sure you ask the uh, GM and the coach about that. Because that's where I would start. Before you blame anybody in the media, start there. Yes, Todd? There was that overthrow of Emmanuel Sanders that can't be overlooked. As convenient as his argument is, that was a pretty big play there. That could have made a big difference. Well, it would have been. It would have been a touchdown. That would have won a Super Bowl. But that's a lot of people jumped on that being the difference in the game. And, you know, that's conveniently left out in that argument there by his team. You know, you know what's left out? The Niners defense was horrible. <laughs> That's what's left out. Nobody brings up that. Hey, uh, you know, Garoppolo, he missed Emmanuel Sanders. Yeah, and your defense missed pretty much everybody in the second half of the game. You gave up three touchdowns, fourth quarter. So I'm not going to put all that on Jimmy Garoppolo. I'd start with the defense there. Yeah, McLovin. That's not fair, though. The Chiefs did that to everybody. Well, no, this is a vaunted Niners defense. Remember? Yeah, that's true. They told us how great they were. You got Richard Sherman. You got Bosa. Got D-line. You got Bruckner. You got it all. We got it all here. We got a great defense. Okay. And then what happened? Hey, anybody seen Tyreek Hill? No! I'd put a little blame on the defense there. Just a little bit there. I'm going to take less blame off Garoppolo. I, th- I thought he was economically good in the first three quarters. Didn't have a great fourth quarter. But that's when you win these games. That's when greatness appears. And that's what makes 
or made the Niners front office nervous because they've seen firsthand Tom Brady do this where he wins these games. And they're still concerned about Jimmy G with the Niners. They're not going to admit it publicly, but privately, yes. You can't go, well, you know, on second thought, we have no concerns about Jimmy G. We're going to pass on Brady. We got no concerns here. All right, let's see. I know all Jimmy G does is win. Okay, he did. His stats weren't great when he won, but he did win. I just think they went all in and gave him a lot of money, and I don't know if he's a great quarterback. Yeah, McLovin. He did go to mandatory minicamp in the spring. Oh, he did. Unlike some other quarterbacks. And Brady didn't. Yeah. You got a good point there. All right, let me take a break. Phone call's coming up, and uh, Chip Kelly, UCLA head coach, will join us. Right after this, 18 after the hour, this is the Dan Patrick Show. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Head coach of the UCLA Bruins, Chip Kelly on the program and looking good there. Hair looks good, coach. Called the shower. Oh, okay. Uh, I went beard and let it all grow for about four or five weeks. And then I decided I got to get back into a routine, get up, take a shower every day. Don't wear the baseball hat, shave a little bit. And <laughs> hopefully that will push us to getting back to some type of normalcy. What do you know now about this upcoming season? This is what I know. I know that the people who say don't know and the people who know don't say. <laughs> So (laughs) I think, you know, we had a meeting with our chancellor yesterday and all the head coaches here, and um, he's extremely hopeful. Um, But his quote, and I thought it was a great thing, is the North Star that will guide all of us is the health and safety of the students. And that has to be first and foremost. And um, it was funny when this first went down and we were we had a staff meeting again at UCLA and we were just in the stages of. We're not going to have any fans at the spring sports. Um, they had not, It was the week they were getting ready. They canceled the NCAA basketball tournament, but it hadn't happened yet. I think it was that Wednesday. Things hadn't fallen yet. And our volleyball coach, John Sparrow, brought up a great point. He said, how many people here would get on a cruise ship right now? Yeah. And no one raised their hand. And he said, isn't a dorm just a cruise ship that doesn't float? And then we all kind of said that was the reality of what was going to hit, you know, and that was eight weeks ago. And I think we've had eight weeks to, to work on testing We've had eight weeks to kind of go through this. Um, all 50 states are in some version of reopening right now, but what happens over the next eight weeks, I think is really what's critical, um, especially to our sport. And, and really, we need to be back probably eight weeks from now. We need to be back by July 20th or so if we're gonna open the season on time. And so there's still plenty of time in there. Um, it's just, you, you gotta defer to the experts in this. We, we we're. Uh, we're about first downs and stopping people and have nothing to really understand what's going on in this. And as Lee Corso told me, um, I talked to coach a couple of weeks ago is, you know, the game of football is not worth one person's life. So we, we better make sure we got this right before we get back. How much of a voice do your players have in this? I, I think they have a voice. You know, we talk to our guys. Um, we're in meetings. We get eight hours a week with them. And most of it, not all of it, spent on just X's and O's. Um, I meet with our squad leaders. I was just texting with a bunch of them about what our meeting, our next meeting is going to be like and some of the questions that, um, you know, we need to discuss and then we'll present to the team. But um, I think they're a big voice because 
they're the ones that have to play and they're the ones that this environment has to be safe. You know, it's the same thing with the, when you listen to the professional sports, um, when you talk to the players is they're the ones playing the game. And, and I think we really need to listen to them. I'm looking at your travel schedule, coach. What is your 2020 football schedule? I've got you traveling a total. If this happens about almost 10,000 miles. Mm-hmm. Round trip. By comparison, Penn State would travel 4,400 miles. That's a big mm-hmm. disparity there. It is. And, and again, it's the geographics of the West Coast. Yeah. You know, there's not as many states as there are on the East Coast. Um, there's not that tight corridor um, like you guys are in. Um, but our league goes from Washington to Arizona, you know, and everything in between. And, and we also have a game at Hawaii. So you got to throw that in there. And that's a huge part of that. So, um, in normal years, and by that I mean any other year besides this year, you didn't really think about the travel, but now you really have to think about the travel and, and um, is there effects of that and how does that work and what's it like when you're on a plane and how do you social distance on a plane? And um, There's so many layers to this. This isn't a, a black or white, an up or down or a yes or no decision. It's kind of, it's like an onion. It has to be peeled and it's layered and I think you have to really let the, the people that know it the best and that's the scientists involved kind of make a decision on kind of where we are with it but there's a lot of things that go into it Dan. and you know like like you said i want to talk some football with you and where do you think offense is in five years what does offense look like uh i i think there's a give and take between the nfl and the college game um things go up and things go down um but i just think there's more passing that's happening at both levels you know you look at the success LSU had with, you know, with Joe Burrow and um, in the offense that, that Brady brought in from the the Saints and, you know, people, it's a copycat league and, and this mm-hmm. sport's always been a copycat league, you know, and I, I've heard this statement and I really believe it. If, if you weren't in the room with Amos Alonzo Stagg and the group that invented this game, then you stole your ideas from somebody. So there's not an original idea in football right now. Um, people were running five wides shotgun. Dutch Myers did it in 1950. You know, and then the game comes full circle. And the game of tempo, um, you know, Sam Weish did it unbelievable in the NFL. The Buffalo Bills and the K-Gun in the 90s, you know, then it took off in college game. Um, but I think it's it's a little bit more wide open. I think because of the athletes and the width and length of the field, you have to use it all. And how do you use that is by spreading people out and, and throwing the football. Um, but something will come cyclical and there will be a team that shows up that's just – pounding the rock and running it down your throat, and then everybody will say that's it. But I think just what LSU did last year will lead, I think, a little bit more teams to kind of open up their passing game. Well, that's why when I saw the Titans and their philosophy was that we're going to run and run, and then Ryan Tannehill will sprinkle in some passes and we'll play good defense. I don't, yeah. right? I don't know if, if, if we get – it's counterintuitive to what is being successful now, but I don't know if the running back comes back in vogue. It's tough because I think a lot of it is what's available. There's a, it's like economy, it's supply and demand. And a ton of guys are playing wideout, and not a lot of guys want to play running back anymore. Um, I don't think, you know, if you want to find a unicorn in the world, look for a, look for a fullback in this country. You know, they don't have, them. you know, no one's playing with them. And where are they? So if you want to run that type of offense, you know, what do you do and, and what are you looking for? Um, and then I think, uh, there's something to be said about being the contrarian now is is lining up in a couple tight ends and pounding the football on people because people aren't used to that. You know, when I left college football in 2012 to go to the NFL, 
Um, we were the only team that was spread out and had shiny helmets. And when I came back and two years ago, everybody in college football does. And so, um, but it's an up and down thing, Dan. I, I mean, you look at what Stanford does. You look at us. We're a multiple tight end team just because we inherited a bunch when I got here. Um, and it has been successful for us. Um, but, you know, when I talked, our tight end was drafted in the third round this year. He's the second tight end off the board, Devin Asiasi by the Patriots. And when Coach Belichick and Bill called me about him, he said there aren't a lot of tight ends out there. You know, when I think a lot of guys that think they're tight, that are tight ends, are playing wide receivers. So it's, it's, it's interesting. And I think it's fun to watch the ebbs and flows of the game and which, where it goes. But we still are just trying to, you know, get, get a first down and try to get some points. Well, it's like the big man in basketball. The big yeah. man when we were watching basketball was a true big man. Now he's a seven-footer shooting jumpers. Uh, I went to – when I was in San Francisco, I watched one of the Warriors um, playoff games, and I saw Kevin Durant in person for the first time. <laughs> I was, are you going to be kidding me? And he was just drilling threes left and right. And when you go back to the days of – you know, in the old days, some coach would have told him, get your tail down in the paint. You know, but the game has changed. You know, I, I think the cool part with there's not a lot of television on when you watch the last dance and see how where those shots were taken, you know, and what a great elbow jumper Jordan had. No one takes an elbow jumper now because the analytics will tell you to back up four more feet. And yeah. that's that's worth one more point. You know, so that that game has changed. And I think because of the rules um, and our game's the same, but I, I think it will. There's there's an ebb and flow to it. We're talking to Chip Kelly, UCLA head football coach. Could you see a coach have the same kind of personality as Michael Jordan and that be successful in today's uh, game? I think if he wins, um, <laughs> it's, it's funny. If, if you don't talk a lot and you lose, you're aloof. And if you don't talk a lot and you win, you're stoic. So it really just depends um, – you know, he's a he's a hard, intense guy and everybody loves playing for him. Why? Because you're winning, you know, and it's um, that that usually cures whatever personality that the, the coaching staff or the, the coach himself has. How badly did Johnny Manziel break your heart? Um, I don't know if it broke our heart. You know, we loved him. The unique thing about that recruiting experience was that we had Johnny and Marcus Mariota in the same camp. Um, and we were the first to offer Marcus and we were the first to offer Johnny as a quarterback. Um, and they were both committed, but he was, I'll give him credit. He was always honest. He wanted something closer to home. He wanted something. And when he got it and he got the opportunity, um, from coach Sherman at the time at A&M, he took it. But, um, our fallback plan was pretty good. Yeah. But how you great know, was Manziel he in high school? Heisman also. So I, I think, uh, I thought he was phenomenal. I remember, and we were asked the question last year at Pac-12 Media Day, who's the best high school football player you saw? And, and that's a loaded question. But the one thing that flashed in my mind is there was a play when we were watching his highlight tape where he took off and went 90 yards for a touchdown. Um, and they were called back for an illegal formation. And the ball backed up five yards. They ran the same exact <laughs> play and he went 95 for a touchdown. <laughs> and it was almost like, a, oh, okay, we'll do this team. But he was – much what he did at A&M, if you ever go, maybe go to YouTube, and I don't know if they're there, um, you watch some of his high school highlights, and, and they were phenomenal. Yeah, but you, you know, that improvisational skill doesn't work in the NFL, right? 
Yeah, that's what everybody said until that guy in Baltimore showed up <laughs> or Mahomes showed up in Kansas City. Um, but people have been doing it. Go back to the cyclical part of what we talked about in the ebb and flow of the game. And, and I've always have wondered when you look at some of the greats that played in the past is how good would Roger Staubach be? I bring it up all the time, coach. Offenses. I do. do yes. I, 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 him and the other one that I always look at, and I never saw him play to see the highlights would have been Sammy Baugh, who led the NFL in passing, punting, and interceptions in one season. <laughs> I mean, it, it, you get some of those multi-athletic multi guys that can do a ton of things, and, and they would flourish. But Roger Staubach's the one that I think, I mean, him or Fran Tarkington back in the day and yeah. what he did, you know, that was what his, his whole game was. And you're talking about two Hall of Famers that, that would have been um, – there's certain guys, and you know, Dan, that are generational players that – that could play in any type of system. Yeah, and, I just, and most of the time, us as coaches will screw them up. You know. Well, I I just remember seeing Roger Staubach at Navy, and and then he goes to the Cowboys. And keep in mind, he had his military commitment, so he comes yeah. in. And what was he twenty nine when he got to the NFL? And mm -hmm. and I just found him to be that was that dual threat where he was really gonna he could beat you with his arm and beat you with his legs, and he was just a great great athlete. He was, and I, I you know, I, I was growing up during that era and loved guys like that. There was a guy, Bobby Douglas, at the Chicago Bears that was that running type quarterback. You know, here when I grew up in New England, you know, you had Steve Grogan. Uh, I think he's the last quarterback to ever wear a horse collar. You know, I remember those <laughs> days he had the big old back roll yes, on the top. Yes. It, was, um, it was interesting. It was interesting. But as I said earlier, you know, I've had guys tell us when we invented the spread, which we didn't invent, we all learned it from other people that people were running shotgun five wides in the fifties and winging it all over the places, the Bobby lanes and the Dutch Myers of the world. So um, this game just keeps evolving. Um, but it, it's so fun to watch those guys play because it's the unscripted plays um, that, that I think are the ones that we, we always go back to when we remember, you know, in the back of our minds. And you're friends with Bill Belichick. Uh, could you, could you teach what Brady does? No, well, I think you can teach a system to him, but the, the most amazing thing about Tom Brady to me is just his discipline as a human being. You know, he works out at our place in, in when he's in Los Angeles. Um, and our place is open to NFL guys anytime after 11. And I think all the guys know that. So they'll come over and use our facility. Every time Tom wants to work out at our place, I'll get a text message from the night before Chip, this is Tom Brady. I, I, I'm like, I have your number in my phone. Um, is it okay if I come over and work out? And he's there at 7 a.m. and he's working out with Tom House, his quarterback guy. And it's, I remember just looking at him, it was, you know, last year it was the middle of April and he's working on his front foot plant. And there's a guy who's won six Super Bowl championships and he's looking at his foot plant and his relationship to his elbow and his hip as it comes through and getting feedback from Tom House and then kind of trying to get in his mind what exactly that felt like. And you talk about someone that's a, that, that much of a stickler and that disciplined as a human being um, to be working on the little things. And I think those are the things that people don't see, you know, on Sundays, They just the work ethic and the time that he puts in. And so can you replicate that discipline? I, I don't know. That's There's very few people in the world that have that type of discipline. It's great to catch up with you, Coach. Love talking football with you. Uh, wish you the best here during these uh, trying times, and uh, thanks for joining us. 
All right, Dan, hopefully when we are talking, it's about current football. We don't have to get back to the 50s. And 40s. <laughs> we could actually talk about being on the field. But I, I appreciate you guys taking time. You guys stay safe. That's uh, Chip Kelly, head UCLA football coach there. I just love, you know, when you talk to these guys who know so much about football and offense and, and you know, Chip has been, I remember he was a defensive back, I think, at the University of New Hampshire. But he's been quite a few places. And he's right. When we look at these offenses, you're going, man, you created a new system here. Nobody's doing that. And if you go back, you know, Norm Van Brocklin, there's a lot of these guys, these quarterbacks, that they would wing it. There, there were coaches who were doing things back in the 50s, 60s. And these coaches today, remember that everybody borrows. They sample from everybody. Uh and that's what's happening. I just don't know if we get to the point where an NBA team loads up on big men. I don't know if we have a football team that just says, this is who we are. We're a power running team. Teams do that. Seattle runs a lot. Colts run a lot. Titans run a lot. Some of it's by design. Some of it's because our quarterback is not great. Now, Seattle's got a great quarterback and they still want to establish the run. Titans have a... Good quarterback, not a great one. They established one. The Colts brought in Phillip Rivers to improve their passing game, which I think was 30th in the league last year. Yeah, Paul. I've always wondered if a, if a college football team would go that route, a Wisconsin or a Nebraska, and go work on recruiting linemen and running backs and well, tight ends. Well, Wisconsin does that. They do, but they still, they're not all committed. They're not like Navy and, and Army where it's 95% running. I, I always thought like if, if Nebraska went back to, let's just run it and we're not passing anymore, and you don't have the personnel to keep up with us because you have 18 defensive backs on your roster. I don't know if kids are going to want to go to those places. Running backs would. Well, but there's usually just one running back. Yeah. I mean, Nebraska always had a running back. Oklahoma had a running back in waiting. But, you know, if you're going to be a boring, you know, quote-unquote boring offense, are you going to be, if you're a quarterback, do you want to go there unless you get to run the football? That doesn't help your chances of playing in the NFL. I mean, it feels like these kids now go, where is the best place for me to go where I can go to the NFL? That, that's usually the feeling because everybody thinks that they can play in the NFL. But I, Wisconsin has big linemen and, you know, Taylor rushed for 2,000 yards. But they, you know, they they're always getting Ron Dane. I mean, they're always getting a, a, a talented running back here. That's why I love what the Colts did. And I love Pittman and I love Taylor. I think those are really that's a but that's a smart organization. I mean, they're they're that, that's a they should be winning that division this year. All right, we'll take a break. Last call for phone calls. What we learn, what's in store tomorrow. We'll try to close up shop after this. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live every day at YouTube.com slash The Dan Patrick Show. That's a fun show today. Frank Reich, the Colts. Chip Kelly, he's forgotten more football than I know. And Rick Stroud covering the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tomorrow on the program, Chris Collinsworth will stop by. NASCAR's Denny Hamlin will join us as well. we got a winner on Fritzy's scoreboard. It's Patrick in St. Paul, Minnesota. The numbers are 21 and 23. Let's do this day in sports history to see if we can ruin this surprise with Fritzy's scoreboard. Dan, <laughs> yeah, I don't have anything that good, but here's one that I never knew. Uh... This day in sports history, in 1922, Babe Ruth was suspended, uh, actually returned to the Yankees lineup. He had been suspended in October of the previous year. 
Babe Ruth broke a rule about barnstorming, playing like pickup, almost like pickup baseball for pay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the new commissioner had a rule against it. Babe Ruth is coming off a season uh, where he hit 378, hit uh, 59 home runs and batted and drove in 171 runs. He was suspended for the first third of the next season because of this barnstorming thing. He didn't play in March or April, and uh, he thought he would get away with it. He appealed, and the commissioner said, "No, Babe Ruth, you got to." Sit out the first part of the season. Fans were complaining. Babe Ruth not in the lineup. Well, he was also thinking about playing professional basketball at the time. He was going to leave baseball to go play basketball. He was going to do what Jordan. I'm joking. I was. It was a joke there. I got McLovin thinking I'm serious. There. Did I? Did <laughs> I, was I like, get, what an athlete? Did I? Get, <laughs> uh, babe, no. Babe would not be playing uh, basketball. I, I looked at his stats in the past. <laughs> and I always assumed that he was injured for some reason. He played 110 games that year. Mm. In just 110 games after the suspension, Babe Ruth hit 315, 35 homers, 99 ribbies. All right, uh, Fritzy. Uh, the 21, 24, 23 numbers are the clue for 21 is whole lot of debate. Whole lot of debate. Okay. On May 20th, 1984, Roger Clemens gets his first career win, a 5-4 victory over the Twins. All right. That's number 21. For 23, my clue is a fifth of Beethoven, playing off of a genius type of person, a fifth of Beethoven. Right. And that would be May 20th, 1991, Michael Jordan named NBA MVP, his first of five such awards. Wow. Patrick in St. Paul, Minnesota is your winner. Paul in Milwaukee joins us. Paul, what's on your mind? Hi, Dan. First time, long time, 59160. Uh, This goes back a few segments, but uh, I just want to let you know that you're more than bleeping talented. I remember remember years ago you did a segment on the Radio Milwaukee where you called in and instead of talking sports, you played DJ and you talked to the post on John Cougar's I Need a Lover, (laughs) which just has like a four-minute intro. (laughs) And the guys that were on the station were like, come on, talk about sports, Dan. But uh, no, you're, you're bleeping talented. In fact, you let one slip by. You for a, t- a t-shirt idea okay just blame horace or it's horace's fault okay all right well thank you paul yeah i think that's the new uh, motto here if somebody does something wrong we just blame horace grant seton o'connor you have something for us that you've been sitting on for a while yeah well you know if you follow social media especially um and obviously because of the pandemic there's a lot of you know graduations aren't happening mm-hmm. right now and it's a tough milestone to you know a lot of people look forward to uh, you know, walking across the stage, cap and gown, getting the diploma. And a lot of kids aren't doing that. So what people are doing is uh, they're having uh, virtual graduations uh, similar to uh, what, say, like the, for example, the governor of Mississippi, he just read a list of 2020 high school graduates, um, which I thought was really nice and really touching. And here's actually an example of him doing that. Okay. Gavin Christopher Davis, Grace Dolls, Terry Ashcraft. I'm sorry. Wait, what was that third name? Gavin Christopher Davis, Grace Dolls, Harry Ascrack. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> Harry Ascrack. You know, a lot of people didn't think that Harry Ascrack was going to get there, but he made it. It's a uh, Harrison Jerome Ascrack the third. It could only have been better if he was valedictorian. No. <laughs> Harry Ascrack. Harry. Harry. Ascrack. Ascrack. <laughs> Ascrack. <laughs> That's the governor. <laughs> Somebody slipped that in on the governor. I know. I think he followed that up by saying that whoever did this uh, has a has a great opportunity, a future of writing for The Simpsons. I think that was his response. <laughs> Harry, 
That's correct. A long line Harry. of ass cracks. That's correct. That's correct. That's correct. Dicky in Iowa. Hi, Dicky. Hey, Dan. Uh, six four and a deceptive two seventy. Uh, I just like to weigh in on the backup quarterback uh, question. Has anybody thrown out Doug Williams' name yet? No, but uh, that's a that's a valid answer there. Good answer there. Yeah, I don't know who's the best backup quarterback of all time because Brady was a backup quarterback. Kurt Warner was a backup quarterback. Most quarterbacks are backup quarterbacks. Aaron Rodgers was a backup quarterback. Was Brett Favre? He was a backup Like You can keep going down the line. Joe Montana was a backup quarterback for a while. Steve Young was a backup quarterback for a while. All right. Uh, let me see. Anything else? Final results of the poll question, McLevin. Which older quarterback will throw the most TDs? Breeze runs away with it. Tom Brady second. All right. Jeff in Detroit closes out our phone calls. Hi, Jeff. What up, though? What up, though? What's out the chat? Bro, listen, man. I just wanted to talk about this clown Ryan in New England real quick. First of all, the coaching staff tells Tom, we're going to restrict your leadership skills. You know, don't interact with the rookies. Next of all, he's never been paid what he's worth. The man never stopped winning. They got rid of him because they didn't want to pay him. Nine and six, he's dumped in the nine Super Bowls and won six of them. And you say the man checked out on you? Clown, what is you smoking in New England? Thank you, Jeff. Uh, Todd, what did you learn on today's program? Uh, Coach Reich with the Colts, still an ordained minister, will be officiating a wedding this coming summer. Yeah, he's got to do something with his background there, his backdrop behind him and Zoom. McLovin. Chip Kelly says that Tom Brady texts him and says, hi, it's Tom Brady. <laughs> it does sound like what Tom Brady would do. Seton O'Connor Jr. the third. He's the pride of Mississippi, Harold Azcrack. <laughs> Paulie, what'd you learn? Huge day for the ass crack family yesterday. <laughs> what we learned brought to you by LegalZoom. No matter what happens, you want to make sure your loved ones are taken care of. That's why LegalZoom has made it easy to set up the right estate plan without leaving your home. Take care of your family today with the right estate plan at LegalZoom.com. Been a lot of fun. Thanks for the phone calls, emails, tweets. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Dan and the Danettes, Dan Patrick Show.